0: morning, everybody. Um, So I just wanted to start by thanking Clay for the opportunity to share from God's Word um, with you all again. And uh, as he said, the last few weeks have been um, really crazy uh, for Lana and myself. Um, It started out with a difficult decision for Lana to actually um, resign from her full-time job um, to do part-time work, um, just be more available at the farm and to our family, um, and then uh, following that, we were cutting hay, so there's long days on the farm, getting the house finished so that we can move in before our apartment um, lease ran out, and then um, the tornado hit the farm that weekend, we moved in, cleaned up from the tornado, and as Clay said, had the wedding, um, and just all of those festivities going on, so... Um, some might say that this would be a terrible week for me to have to stand up here and teach um, to prepare for it, um, but I can say that, um, that God um, knew exactly what He's doing and gave me the perfect week to teach patience because it's in the midst of trial and just when the waves of life are crashing in on you um, that um, we just see um, our own weakness and our need for growth and it um, just created pressures that um, showed me um, how I can cultivate patience better in my life, um, which was really my prayer for you, um, or for this time, uh, a little over a month ago when Clay assigned me um, the topic um, because I knew um, I was really weak in patience and uh, needed to have a better grasp on it um, for all of you. Um, So, as I said, um, as I went into this study... Um, getting my definition down, I realized I am a terrible long-sufferer, and I have major deficiencies in the area of patience. Um, For example, at work, conversations with my boss were regularly leaving me frustrated, and internally, um, internally, I was becoming more easily set off, and at various times, I just had a a record of wrongs um, just cycling through my mind, And um, so um, I just lacked patience, compassion, humility to bear with my brother's own weaknesses and just differences from myself. Um, And one day my speech finally made my wrong thinking apparent to me. As the proverb says, um, it is in hasty speech that the fool exalts his folly, um, but through gentle reproof. The Lord made me realize I was self-focused and fearing how decisions made by others would negatively affect me, leading me to harbor bitterness, Um, and it uh, revealed a fear of a loss of approval of others um, if I experienced less success at work um, or even took blame for decisions that I didn't make. Um, But the Lord used this study to convict and lead me to repentance and that I may be a testimony of Christ's patience toward us and grow in the quality of myself. So like me, do you ever find yourself having a short fuse with others, consistently on edge when interacting with a particular uh, person? Are you often quick to speak? Uh, Are you grumbling about others, keeping an account of wrongs, perhaps? Do you sometimes think that others are the biggest problem in your life? If so, you, like me, May be experiencing great deficiency in patience, but don't worry. There's hope for change. And to aid you in this change, my desire today is to remind you of God's perfect patience and provide you the truth to live with greater patience yourselves. Uh, So my proposition for you today is this. In order for the Spirit to produce patience, the patience of Christ in us, we must be armed in five essential ways, and these will serve as our outline. First, we must have a clear definition of patience. Second, we must have a rich understanding and image of God's patience. Third, we must hone in on the threats to patience. And fourth, uh, we must store up truth as motivation. And fifth, we must develop a plan of action. I'll say that again for you. Uh, First, we must have a clear definition of patience. Second, we must have a rich understanding of God's patience. Third, we must hone in on the threats to patients. Fourth, store up truth as motivation, and fifth, we must develop a plan of action. So, as our first essential truth, we must arm ourselves with clarity. Gaining clarity means we need a solid working definition. And to obtain this, we will focus on the root word Paul used in Galatians 5. And different from joy or peace, patience can be really challenging for us to define because of its limited number of usages in scripture. And so as we ask, what exactly is patience? Um, let's consider what it is not. It is not simply the absence of hastiness that keeps us from frantically running through, rushing through the day's activities, um, and neither is it simply the act of waiting, like when you're in a busy drive through line. Patience is a heart attitude and a quality of character flowing out of one's convictions about who God is. It is the deepening of these convictions that fuel heart transformation and determine the outflow of our actions. In Galatians 5, the Greek word used for patience is makrothumeo, which is rooted in the word makrothumia. The word is a combination of makros, meaning long, and thumos referring to intense passion or anger. So the word is literally to be long in passion. We could say it is to be long-tempered rather than short-tempered. Also, I must note that the word hupomone is also translated patience in the New Testament. And so some places you read it are not the word that we're studying today, uh, macrothumia. Uh, Hupamone seems to carry a greater connotation of enduring trials and suffering Um, and just holding fast in the midst of them, whereas macrothumia is always referring to the restraining of passions in the midst of provocation. So our quality in Galatians, this character trait in which we desire to model Christ, communicates a lack of retaliation when the heart's passions are stirred. It seeks to quickly stamp out one's fiery passion uh, when people or circumstances stir them up. Impatience may be described as easily losing one's level-headedness. as a loss of one's steadiness of temperament um, as the heart responds to the stimuli of circumstances or persons. But patience is the opposite as it bears with or long suffers others at huge lengths. So I offer you this definition today. Patience is a quality arising from spirit-wrought trust in the character Purposes and promises of God that enables one to endure the waves of affliction and long-suffer sinful humanity without succumbing to intemperate passions. Patience is a quality arising from spirit-wrought trust in the character, purposes, and promises of God that enables one to endure the waves of affliction and long-suffer sinful humanity without succumbing to intemperate passions. So now that we have a clear definition let's consider the second essential, which I would also call the most important. We must possess a rich understanding of how patience is displayed perfectly in our Lord. It is God and his character that ultimately serves as our reference for patience. So to enlarge our view of God and his patience, we must ask ourselves, what does he reveal to me in the scriptures? What, why is he patient? What purpose and motives does he have? Who does God display his patience toward, and what is the result? To answer these questions, we will look at patience displayed in Christ, in God, and in the church. So first, displayed by God. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the first use of our word, macrothumia is in Exodus 34, 6 through 8. In it, God proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving transgression and iniquity and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. When God proclaims the fullness of his character, he describes himself as great in patience. God is long tempered with his people and with the world, patiently enduring sin. We see this attitude displayed throughout the Old Testament. Two passages helpful for developing a portrait of God's patience are Nehemiah 9 and Psalm 78. In Nehemiah 9, after a prolonged period of Israel's unfaithfulness, Ezra publicly read the books of the law, and Israel's people were genuinely grieved for their sin, turning back to God to worship him. Following this, the history of God's faithfulness to Israel is recounted, and in it we observe God's patience, his slowness to anger and to avenge the wrongdoing of his people. In Egypt, God heard the cry of his covenant people and he delivered them from their bondage and he destroyed their pursuers in the Red Sea. Then he gave them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire as proof that he was with them day and night. He gave them the law to direct them toward all that is right and good and true. He also gave them a servant leader in Moses and he met all of their physical needs. He provided them manna for their hunger and water from the rock to quench their thirst. He also promised they would enter the land of their possession, which he previously promised to Abraham. God was good and gracious. How then did the people respond to him? We are told that the people acted with a proud, rebellious heart and were hardened to the word of truth. They refused obedience and closed their minds to the wonders he performed among them. They grumbled and despaired that all God had given them was not enough. They went as far as seeking a new leader who could lead them back to Egypt to their former slavery. So after tasting grace and freedom, they were ready to turn back. Man's heart is prideful and easily deceived. Psalm 78, 36 through 42 describes Israel heart, Israel's heart further, saying that they flattered God with their mouths. They gave praises to him in lip service, but they didn't worship God. God from the heart. They lied to the Holy Creator. They chose to rebel and contend with Almighty God. They put God to the test, and they provoked Him in their unholiness. They forgot God, suppressed the truth from their minds, as they pursued God's of their own making, doing what was right in their own eyes. But in each passage, the depraved and inconsistent heart of His people, of God's people, is made evident, and each turns then, hopefully, back to God's immutable character. In Nehemiah, it states, But God, ready to forgive, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, he did not forsake them. And in Psalm 78, it declares that yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their sins, his compassion and covenant love motivated him to be patient with them until the people would repent. He determined to cover their sins himself so that he could continue to bless them. And though they forgot God, he remembered them. And he remembered that they were but flesh, that they were made from the dust, that they were weak in frame, that their life was as wind that passes and comes not again. Knowing his, the heart of his people, he restrained his anger toward their sin and idolatry and lovingly showed patience. For another explanation of God's patience, turn with me in your Bibles to Second Peter three nine. Second Peter three nine. It says The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so, we see God says that he is, it says that God is patient, he is long-suffering toward you, you being believers, not wishing that any should perish, any of his people, and that all, all of his people, should reach repentance. So in this context, Peter is responding to scoffers who deny the coming final judgment. He seeks also to combat the lie, he seeks to combat this lie that God is delaying his coming. It's tempting to think this way, but we must trust what God says rather than man's perception. Peter declares that it is God's long-suffering toward believers that leads to this mistaken accusation of him failing to fulfill his promise. However, its fulfillment is coming. God is not really slow to fulfill the promise as our human sense of time indicates. Rather, he's being slow in pouring out his wrath on sin, which is incredibly hopeful for all of us. People can can get focused on what seems like a massive delay when God intends the length of time until his second coming to result in the praise of his glorious patience, his slowness to avenge sin. Verse 8 says, Shows why God is not slow in his promise. It says with the Lord, uh, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God is outside of time. And the reality um, is that what we perceive as slowness in his return is actually that he has an appointed day in history. He knows exactly when he's going to come. It's not that God's just waiting until the world seems just right or to have reached the proper conditions that he will return in judgment. Um, But it is that God is actively and sovereignly working so that on the final day, all of his people will be ready. God is showing patience toward his people so that all may repent before his return. The salvation of his people, then, is the purpose that that motivates God to be patient toward believers and to do what feels like prolong the final judgment. He long suffers with his people so that all whom he foreknew before the foundation of the earth will come to him for salvation. In 2 Peter 3.11, we also um, see Peter point to the truth that God's patience goes beyond just saving faith and that he means also to provide all believers time to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. His desires for his people to make proper use of the time given By repenting daily and cultivating godliness and holiness. There is not a delay. And this truth should direct us to God's wondrous patience and mercy in allowing sinners to come to Him. Consider also the warning of Romans 2 4, which says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and His forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The godly do not have this pattern of presuming on God's patience. Their hardness of heart melts away as they come to know God's patience personally, and it leads them to repentance. They see his compassion and kindness, and they come to him. But for the ungodly, God's patience does not result in repentance, though he takes no pleasure in their judgment. They presume upon God's patience and squander the given time. In one example, Peter points to the flood. God's patience ran out toward the ungodly, and all perished in the deluge. For 120 years uh, before the flood came, Noah was building the ark, and the world ate, drank, and was merry, and did not turn to God. Their response to God's patience led them to perish. But for those who are being saved, his patience always results in saving faith. God preserved Noah and his family, and he did so because God made a promise. He promised that a seed of the woman uh, would come to crush the serpent's head. And in the same way, God's promises motivate him today to continue in his patience toward us. He's gathering his chosen people together in the church. And if it were not so, the unrepentant would already have been judged. Let us also consider how these Old and New Testament texts relate to our own relationship to God. God promises that we need not worry what we will eat, drink, or wear. Yet like Israel, we worry or we grow discontent. Never the, uh, and further, we even seek our own exaltation and our pride. We trust our own thinking and we do what is right in our own eyes rather than taking God at his word. Our sin is truly more offensive to God than we can comprehend. Yet in his kindness, he long suffers sin, restraining his wrath, desiring all of us to turn away from sin and be restored to him. Do not presume upon such a gift, or presume as Israel and the men in the days of Noah, that God's patience will never run out. Come to God in faith and repentance today and enjoy the blessing of atonement for sins. As we continue to sin throughout our life, God welcomes us back to him with forgiveness and grace each time we repent. And we have not asked this question yet. Why can God justly restrain his anger toward the sins of his people? Why can he forgive again and again? Why does his patience never run out for us? You know the answer. Because Christ has already taken every ounce of wrath stored up for us. He paid the full price for the sins of the people of God. My sin and your sin was absorbed by Christ on the cross. For this reason, God could pass over the former sins of the Old Testament saints, and for this reason, He can con- display continual patience toward us today, waiting for all to reach repentance that comes with saving faith. Because of Christ, God continually uh, God excuse me uh, God continues to patiently bear with our sin each day as we grow in holiness, and He prepares us for glory. He suffers the dark depravity of man's sinful heart and is motivated by a great love for his people, desiring to see all repent and live godly lives. He has shown this patience all throughout history and has done so because of the promise and fulfillment of Christ's propitiation for our sins. To further expand our view of God's patience, we will further consider this in the patience displayed in Christ. Turn with me to 1 Timothy One twelve through seventeen. In this passage, Paul writes. that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life here Paul is recalling his former life which utterly opposed Christ and the gospel he acknowledges his immense pride to oppose god he explains that it was god's plan that Christ would come into the world to save sinners and Paul himself was the foulest sinner of them all. He says the purpose of the mercy shown him was to put on full display to everyone that no one is too sinful to be a recipient of Christ's patience and saving grace. No sinner carried a guilt greater than Paul. But Christ's per- patience was made perfect in Paul because it had its intended effect, the repentance and salvation of a hopelessly condemned sinner. Like with Israel, God was moved by incredible compassion to save Paul. In the eyes of men, he was living the most righteous life possible, when in reality he blasphemed the name of God in word and deed. Worse still, he tortured and killed God's people. To adapt the story of the prodigal son, we could say that Paul was the prodigal who went out in his pride and brutally murdered the rest of the father's children. He was so blind that he was convinced it was the father's goodwill. But when his eyes were opened to his sin, Paul was humbled and turned back to the Father, seeking mercy. And the Father held back his anger toward Paul's sin for the greater end of Paul's redemption. Justice justice warranted Paul's immediate execution, but Christ took the wrath due him so that patience and kindness and joyful reception could be enjoyed by him. How many of us in this room were formerly like Israel or Paul? having the appearance of righteousness and the approval of men, but were actually blasphemers who flattered God with lip service, never giving him our whole heart. I know that I was, but praise the Lord, he was patient until I surrendered wholly to him. As our third component of this second essential, patience displayed in the church, I want to share with you a personal example of Christlike patience. To do this, I want to highlight one of our faithful brothers here at TBC, my boss at work and close friend, Cody Sargent, who has consistently demonstrated patience with mercy and gentleness in dealing with me, whether in my failure or in my sin. On countless occasions, I've broken things around the farm or spoken pridefully and come to him bracing myself for disappointment and frustration, but he always shows me kindness and patience, in particular with my sin. Whenever I wrong him, he isn't quick to anger or retaliation, and he doesn't treat me differently. He's truly patient. And when I confess wrong against him, he gladly forgives. Why? Because he shares this attitude of Paul that says, I am chief of sinners, I am foremost. And if we can all make that our conviction, our patience will vastly improve. Well, uh, now as we possess a clear definition of patience, as well as a vivid image of how it is displayed through our Lord. Let's move on to our third essential, honing in on the threats to patience. What we have learned thus far points to what I believe are three primary threats to patience. They are as follows. Threat one is believing the lie of an impatient God. When we fail to behold the truth of God's patience from his word, it cannot affect our hearts. And sometimes... Ah, believing his patience uh, with me and my sin can be extremely difficult. I want to believe that Christ has cleared me of my guilt before God once and for all. But I find myself functionally believing that when I sin, that God is angry with me. And when I confess my sin, he stops being angry. But this is not true. We cannot appease God. His attitude towards us, however, is kindness and patience alone because of Christ. And if we believe God is impatient, we will never succeed in demonstrating patience to others. Threat number two is pride. Pride and impatience often manifests itself in um, two extremes. On one end of the spectrum, you have self-interest and self-righteousness that kindles anger within us that um, is either simmering or can burst forth um, that a person would dare harm or offend us. Um, in the way that we perceive they have. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's the tendency to self-absorption and despair because we're viewing people as our biggest problem and that we're just a victim of their offenses with no hope of vindication. When we are consumed with self, the sin of others um, will increasingly uh, provoke us to extreme passion and we forget that we ourselves share this same weak, sinful frame as others. Pride can also lead us to desire to see others live and think like we do and despise their differences. Threat number three is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is closely tied to the first two threats because it fails to remember the insurmountable debt that Christ has forgiven us, as well as his constant compassion and forgiveness as we keep sinning in our Christian walk. It is pride that makes us like the unforgiving servant whose master cleared his immense debt, but then he could not forgive his fellow servant, a smaller one. In a believer's lifetime, Christ forgives us thousands upon thousands of times. He keeps receiving us back to him. So to honor him, we ought to extend the same kind of patience, forgiveness and compassion, to those who sin against us. Keeping account of sin will destroy any possibility of cultivating patience in our life. Also, be warned of the consequences of impatience. We cannot live as people who are quickly provoked. If we fail to guard ourselves against these attitudes, we are opening the body of Christ to harm and destruction at our own hands. As Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. Enmity strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Any one of these things could be a consequence of a lack of patience. Quickness to anger could cause us to lash out with words as sharp as sword thrusts. Impatience could boil up within us and turn into grumbling that results in gossip and alienates the saints from one another. Never overlooking offenses can cause contention, rivalries, and division, when God designed for us to build up the body of Christ in unity and peace, do not give the flesh a foothold for impatience, beloved. Galatians tells us that the work of, works of the flesh cause us to bite and devour the body. We'll tear it to pieces if we do not walk by the Spirit in patience. Our fourth essential we must possess is truth for motivation. There are really countless, a countless number of motivations that we could come up with for patience, but I will highlight a few here that I have found personally helpful. The first is God's patience toward us. This is what I've sought to make the central theme of this message, because it serves as our fundamental motive and example. Christ's patience is perfect, and it doesn't run out. There is no condemnation and no wrath because of Christ. God long suffers our past and present sin because of his merciful purpose, to save us. The second, like Paul, you must believe that you are the foremost sinner in your life. Recognizing we are weak and sinful apart from God, apart from his work in us, will motivate us to compassion and sympathy toward others. The contrast between what he deserved and what he received never left Paul's mind. And may it never leave ours. Paul humbly recognized his standing before God. And when we believe and experience Christ's perfect patience and abounding compassion despite being hopeless sinners, it should motivate us to imitate God's immeasurable patience, bearing with people through all circumstances, forgiving every offense of saints and sinners alike. If we have this humility to see ourselves as the foremost of sinners, then we will surely live with patience toward others. The third motivation is the promise that both God's patience and our own work to the great end of the salvation of all his people. God's patience ultimately works to produce repentance and saving faith in his people. Similarly, the patience of individual believers is an instrument for our collective growth um, towards this salvation. We have been set apart as holy, but we are all a work in progress. We are all working out our salvation with fear and trembling together. We exhort and encourage one another in the truth with all patience of teaching because we are collectively striving towards the upward call of Christ. For the fourth motivation, we must have the expectation that people will sin against us, and yes, even other Christians And perhaps especially so, because they will be in closest proximity to us in this life. And it will always be a reality that we will be sinned against until Christ returns, which makes preparing our hearts to put on patience an absolute necessity. Fifth, as God has empowered us, God has empowered us through his spirit to change. We now live by faith. And the Spirit ministers to us daily so that we can overcome the works of the flesh and produce the character of Christ in us. It is as Galatians says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And we are free now to live as proper image bearers, even putting on patience because of the Spirit's ministry. And so for our fifth and final essential, um, I will give uh, some Advice and practical um, helps for cultivating or creating a plan for patience. Uh, The first thing that we should do is to take a spiritual pulse. We must ask ourselves, when do I display the most signs of impatience? What particular situations or individuals tend to arouse my heart to passion? After this, we must grow our knowledge of Christ's patience toward us and toward all his people. When we do this, take time to intentionally praise him for the truths that you discover. Also, we must practice confession. Confess your pride, your failures, to see yourself as the chief of sinners. Confess your quickness to anger, your haste to speak, your keeping account of others' offenses. And when you do, consider God's immeasurable patience toward you. Because You are his child, and he overflows with love for you. Also, we should pray for patience. Regularly pray that the patience of Christ would be made manifest in you. Pray for submission to the Spirit, that you may walk in the Spirit, and not according to the flesh. Pray specifically for the situations at work, or at home, or in the church uh, that you face, envisioning what it would look like to walk in the Spirit. For example... Lord, when my boss does X, enable me to put aside my selfish desires. Be slow to anger and speak thoughtfully and graciously rather than quickly so that I can long suffer with him just as Christ has long suffered with me. Lord, may I glorify you by fulfilling my purpose of imitating Christ. Also, we can patiently pray for others. When brothers and sisters are in clear sin, put on the heart of Christ and be moved to compassion to pray for them and continue to serve them in spite of their sin. Know that growth takes time and we cannot be totally free of sin in this life. Finally, to measure our progress, um, let the people closest to you know that you're seeking to grow in this area. More than likely, the people you're closest to are the ones that you're sinning against the most um, and displaying this impatience toward the most. So check in with them every now and then and see how they perceive your progress. And if you are growing, they may even point it out to you unprompted. So to close, I want to remind you, our number one motivation to patience must be the magnitude of Christ's own patience toward us. Lasting transformation in the Christian life cannot be separated from the gospel. Principles alone can modify behavior, but they cannot change your heart. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is Christ's image we were made to bear, and it was Christ who has freed us to do so. He absorbed all the wrath our sin deserved so that we could experience and bear testimony of his patience through our life. And it is Christ who gave us his spirit to fuel our obedience and progressive growth and holiness. If it is a battle for you to believe God's patience toward you, look to Christ, behold him. If Christ was not patient toward you, there would not be Christ. You, or if God was not patient toward you, there would not be Christ. You would not know him or love him. When we strive to embody a specific quality of Christ's character, we may look all throughout Scripture, but each one finds its climax in the cross. The cross is the only needed testimony of God's glorious patience. As we have said, God's patience toward Israel, Paul, and us today was and is because of the promise and fulfillment of Christ's work on Calvary. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much um, for your great compassion towards us. Lord, we thank you for showing patience to us in our sin and waiting for us to turn to you so that we may be saved, that we may know you, that we may live our life to exemplify the character of Christ to the world, to make you known. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to know your patience from the scriptures and to know it personally, Lord, so that we can display it to others and that we can cultivate this greater ability to set aside our prideful and selfish passions um, to vindicate ourselves. And Lord, just to be merciful and patient with others and to love them as Christ loves them. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Christmas.